much pizza. <laughs> Welcome to church and other. That was literally. That was literally. Uh, <laughs> right when I right when I freaking pressed, I was trying to think of a way to say welcome to church and other drugs, and then Jay just, I think I ate too much pizza. And congregation, he's got cheese on his freaking mustache. Welcome. You think that you think it's cheese? Uh, welcome uh, and welcome back to me. Welcome back, Jay. Welcome back, Cotter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up, uh, fuck faces? Where you been? Um, doing whatever I want. Yeah. Okay. Uh, i've been taking a sabbatical i have been emotionally and spiritually recharging um how did that go are you full john jay has been taking care of jay is jay full i think i really do think i ate too much pizza well that's like real talk i meant spiritually i know i'm just joking um (laughs) you you know what like spiritual deep dish uh, honestly i feel way better and i think i needed to take some time and like reflect and let go of a lot of stuff we're getting like really deep here like right off the rip i know what's funny um but yes i do i feel much better that's good and what's funny is like while you will take care of your mental state i'll just carry on and just run this ship straight into the ground like i'll just crash and burn Oh, I, I've done that before a lot, like in sobriety. And I just learned that I need to sometimes, you know, take a break and let the rubber balls fall to, so that I can keep juggling the glass ones. You know what I mean? Oh, you like that? Uh, that was pretty good. You know what? You've been waiting to use that, haven't you? That's pretty good. Um, I, I have not, but I think a pastor told me that actually. That is good. Yeah. Before we move on, I got a special shout out because this is just the funniest shit shout I've out. heard. Uh, Bryant Winters. Okay, so okay. on another Facebook group I'm in, um, somebody just said like Mark Driscoll is like live or something, so everybody go troll him. And so some people <laughs> were doing some on Facebook, and some people were doing some like half-assed trolls or whatever. And then Bryant Winters comes with this scorching heat dude and he got a response which is why it's it's the best so bryant just just <laughs> comments uh i've gotten into some trouble lately gotten one little fight my mom got scared and moved me out of the city to live with my uncle and aunt it's been rough and i don't know how to find peace in this because the whole time i've continually gotten into disagreements with my cousin carlton which if you do- <laughs> which if you don't know that is the plot for the fresh prince of bel-air and fucking Mark Driscoll wrote back, Hi, Bryant. Thank you for sharing. Just continue praying to God to help you resolve these issues and be at peace with your family soon. God bless you. You mean Mark Driscoll's social media assistant? It's, yeah, it's, that's a, it's incredible. an M- MDM team. Yeah. I guess that's. <laughs> oh, dude. That's. We are not yeah. worthy. Bryant, that's A. plus. That's probably the funniest troll I've seen so far. It's yet to be beaten. That shit's hilarious. It's incredible, really. Um, Kudos, sir. Yeah, oh, yeah. We had an email, too, which Jay didn't realize we had, so this will be good. I, I don't know if this was the guy that left us that review, but... The bad one? The bad review? It might be, but... So, Shut it's, up. it's from Taylor. 
Uh, he so says. That review was fucking incredible, by the way. You guys should go look at our iTunes reviews. A, leave us one, but find the bad review because it's hilarious. Yeah, please go leave us one. But yeah, go. There's, you'll see it. You'll know it. If it is him, then we need to we need to have him on for like a chat. But yes, he please. he says, hey y'all, I've been listening to the show almost every week for four months or so. Good job. So far, so good. The dialogue at the <laughs> end. <laughs> The dialogue at the end of the latest episode was so weak. Ooh. Ooh. It, that's because uh, I wasn't on it. A zenga. He was talking about when me and Debesh were talking about the uh, Vegas shooting, that episode. Oh, uh-huh. And he says, it doesn't take believing in a, quote, God of any kind to keep a moral compass, and there is no evidence to support that any, quote, God has made anyone better. Look at the killings, infidelity, and other bad events committed in the name of of God or by a pastor slash leader. Valid point. Valid point. And we, then we had like a discourse after that. I just thought it was a valid point. I will say though, that that does. So you're, you're, we're missing the beauty of the forest for the ugliness of some of its trees. Right. Totally. Like I, I think if we look at humanity as a whole, it would be tough to argue that belief in a higher power doesn't make people on a whole better, better. Yeah. I would say so. so. Well, and but I, I get it, and that's why people don't. Uh, I mean, that's why people don't like religion or the God word or any of that stuff is because, like, we humans fuck it up. But what's funny is, yeah, I, I, why do you think religion gets stuck with that one bad rap? Because everybody fucks up everything. There is no untainted organization right but i guess it's it's because because yeah it's hypocritical by by that makes sense right because we say like don't do these things it's bad and then we do them because we're human beings yeah and usually we we do them in worse ways also i'm pretty sure it's a methadone mumbler he's back oh dude apparently uh one of our classmates uh he's working at a coffee shop and they saw him nah yeah Oh, that's yeah. sad. Now I feel bad for him. He got kicked out of. Well, maybe you know, maybe he's you know, maybe it, maybe it woke him up to some things. Who knows? You know what's funny? Also, <laughs> because of him, uh, they issued us a new handbook, and now they have an expulsion policy, which they have never had before. He was the first one to Whoa. ever in the in the ten year history of this school. He's the first one to ever get kicked out. Dang, and, and that's great, isn't it? That's wild. I would have thought for sure you'd be the first one to get kicked out of anything. Yeah. I don't get... No, I don't... No, that's not my style. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I like to... My my game is like... I like to play by the rules and and still be subversive. And like... I like to like make fun of you to your face so that you don't know I'm making fun of you. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's more fun. At least when I make fun of people, they know it. Right, right. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, let's actually, uh, I want to save uh, hotels for, but hey, for after so the Taylor, interview. Back to Taylor. Oh, yeah, go for it. Thing. That was a joke. But seriously, like, let's rap, dude. Like, let's have a discussion. Let's talk. Let's talk to Taylor. Yeah, I think we should actually, and yeah. we, we need to call. We've we've got an interview to do for uh, Patreon. So yes, we do. We haven't Patreons, forgot. Patreons, we're coming. We're coming at you. Yeah, and sorry. Well, Jay can. Well, sorry. We have we've been inconsistent with the bonus episodes. You know, Jay's fault. Jay's fault. Jay's fault. It is my fault. 
<laughs> but we got good shit coming up, man. Uh, in January, we're going to have the live streaming, me woo, woo, and, woo. and Jay uh, mocking John Wick, too. Yeah, boy. And then uh, awesome. I think we're going to come live from the conference with Scott, too. Scott. Oh, yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Scott will be with us at a men's retreat in right around that same time. So we'll do some live streaming then, too. Yeah. So if you want to catch that live stream, go follow us on Facebook. Look at me back and plug in shit. That's I know. Like, now, oh, I did. Oh, and also I ordered a, a test run of shirts. So did, did you see yeah. did you see that text I sent you? Yeah, I saw the proof. They look awesome. I know, dude. So I'll um I'm gonna post them when I get them, so you'll see exactly what they look like, and then just whoever wants them, just tell me, and I'll make another order. So that's exciting. Yeah, so how will they? How will they tell you? Uh, I don't know. Facebook or email or just email. Get in touch with us. Yeah. yeah, message us on Facebook or email us um, at Church and Other Drugs at gmail.com. Solid. Let's get this interview. All right, so where are you coming from? Where are you at? Um, I'm in London, West London. I think you'll be you'll be the second only international guest, so congrats oh, on really? that. Uh, okay, I mean, I don't know if you saw um, on the news quite recently, uh, a tube station got blown up. Uh, that's oh, my yeah. tube station. So uh, it's Parsons Green has suddenly got a bit famous. Wow. Yeah, and we... Yeah, it's happened. It seems to be happening uh, a lot more frequently more than i would like we just had that uh what happened in las vegas yeah there's a whole lot going on man yeah yeah so tell me let's see where to start tell me i guess what got you interested first off i guess what came first interest in the bible or psychedelics Yeah, I mean, my personal interest was psychedelics. I mean, that's what I I took them before I took uh, before I took pages of the Bible. Um, I remember um, I got given a Bible. I think my first Bible from school was when I was about thirteen, um, and uh, I don't. I think I remember reading bits of Revelation. Mm-hmm. I've looking for looking for six six six. I, I think that's what every because that was I think that's what every like teenage boy I think it's the first one they read because it's the, just nuts oh yeah it's exciting did you roll did you roll a joint in the Bible pages I never my friends <laughs> did I was so oh man I was so I was I refused I was like y'all I, that is where I draw the line but yeah my friends would always tear the uh, the blank pages out yeah so. Uh... So no, my interest in um, I was always always interested in, in in why people thought what they thought and how how the mind work. That was kind of uh, that kind of fascinated me. I don't know if that came that interest came before uh, before I got into psychedelics or around the same. No, I think that was before actually. 
And then psychedelics opened up a whole new kind of chapter on how the mind works for me. And then um, I kind of got interested in the Bible initially because I was I was doing a dissertation. I was doing my, my degree. And one of the uh, my degree was in the history and philosophy of science, technology and medicine. <laughs> and I got really interested in the Jehovah's Witnesses because they came around to my house one time when I was uh, I'd been smoking, actually. And they came in and I, and I had to choose at that time what I needed to do my dissertation on. And they came in and these, these guys just, just fascinated me. Uh, and, and, and particularly what interested me at that time was why they didn't do uh, blood transfusions. Yeah. And it's because of a kind of a biblical prohibition on, on eating blood. Um, and that got me thinking about how the Jehovah's Witnesses think about uh, technology, think about medicine. And I ended up doing my dissertation on uh, the, um, I, I kind of I did a comparative history on American um, apocalyptic groups in the kind of 17th century, uh, puritanical apocalyptic groups, uh, Protestant groups and that, and looking at Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was kind of interested in how apocalyptic group, well, for, initially I was interested in how uh, medicine responded to people who had extraordinary beliefs. You know, what does the right. doctor do right. when someone arrives and they refuse to have blood transfusion? And what happened there was, was really interesting because they had to develop, doctors had developed a whole new bunch of uh, practices specifically because of this belief. So I was interested in, in what, the connection between... What, what do they do for blood transfusions? Do you know what? I actually can't remember. I, but they don't do blood transfusions. Yeah, but they have... I think recently here there was a news story about someone who's suing a hospital because they did it without his consent. He was uh, he or her was a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. I mean, and, and it raises this whole question, you know, how much autonomy do you have over your body? Right. Um, and so that kind of whole, whole thing interested me. And then I got kind of interested in some apocalyptic scientists from um, both Protestant side and... Uh, and the more um, Anglican or Puritan Anglican side, you've got like Harvey who discovered the circulation of the, of the, of the blood. Um, and he was an apocalyptic. Um, when you say apocalyptic or, scientist, or he was an apocalyptic. Oh, sorry. Actually, I meant I meant Sydenham. There was a guy called Thomas Sydenham who he was, um, he was a Puritan and he was waiting for uh, the coming of the new kingdom. So he was, I mean, apocalyptic in the terms of, uh, he expected he it at any, at any time sort of thing. Or yeah, that, yeah. that it was very near. He thought it was very near, and he thought that, um, like the Puritans at the time in England, were waiting for a kind of new parliamentary, uh, um, something to replace the old demonic order of the kings and mm. uh, and all that jazz. Which is why um, you know they end up in in going off to your country, uh, <laughs> going off to the states to go to go and um, pioneer pioneer things over there. And it was the same year, actually. I think it was sixteen oh five that the Mayflower went off. Um, and it was that was the same year that um, Francis Bacon published his Novum Morganum, which is about uh, the scientific method, where he kind of introduces the scientific method. And he was an apocalyptic scientist. He was apocalyptic as well. He was waiting for the for the new kingdom and, and all this. So I kind of got really interested in that. Um, and then and then went from there. And then I, my interest in scripture came from that because obviously I was studying um, apocalyptic scientists from purely kind of cultural perspective, if you like, or pro proto scientists. And then I started looking at um, the apocalyptic parts of the Bible, looking at Matthew, mm -hmm. for example. And there's this wonderful line in Matthew. It goes, um, at the end of the world, it's talking about all the bad stuff that was going, will happen at the end of the world. And, um, and that word world in Greek is not world, it's aeon, mm -hmm. uh, which means at the end of the age. Uh, age or epoch or, yeah, exactly, something like that. And that's what the Puritans really wanted uh, was the end of the age. Um, so I got, I kind of got really fascinated then by mistranslation in the Bible and, uh, the Bible as a, 
as a method of control of controlling populations and um all that kind of jazz and a lot of that kind of ties into ties, in, ties into the drug war you know law as a method as a way of controlling people and um what drugs are allowed in a, in a country like you know coffee and alcohol and tobacco oh, yeah. what kind of mindset do they generate uh and we would, uh, i don't know if i don't know if that's part of the podcast uh, if we were oh, recording yeah. it that when you were talking about blitz you know um amphetamine in the third reich what, so how different drugs shape oh, and they do and that's that's that was the uh well and i, I would say amphetamines still are the the underlying drug of choice for like in was it the f- 60s when it was the housewife they called it the housewife's uh special or whatever it was uh when they were just distributing straight amphetamine and now it's turned into adderall which apparently fuels the the writing industry like like um unspoken like every writer is basically just and then those are the people that are writing our media so you wonder like what kind of influence it's really having on and then you have all the college students and oh funny enough i gave a i gave a talk uh, at breaking convention and it was about drugs in the bible antheogens in the bible and someone made a comment on the youtube channel that um the guy looks like he's uh he's on amphetamine because i get quite excited when i talk <laughs> and i him saying yeah i did a couple of lines beforehand a couple of lines of exodus <laughs> so what so, what are your um well no keep going no no, no you go ahead i can okay. i can talk so as as a baseline what did you ever what's your faith leanings um or work in progress or where, where are you at um, yeah i think it's always going to be a work in in progress uh my my ritual format is uh is a is a brazilian tradition um which is called santo daime uh, i don't know if you're familiar with that but in brazil there's this group where they combine um ayahuasca uh with uh catholic or folk catholic infused it, it's a ritual form which mixes uh, indigenous animism and ayahuasca and folk catholicism and also some influence from the spiritist tradition so when i was over in brazil that's what really caught my fancy uh, over here sadly there are legal problems so we can't really be doing it but yeah, um is, States, it, is it a possible practice to practice sans ayahuasca or like to like without it or um, really? we we did do i mean I remember when it got banned we did do some sessions just with water and it's it's powerful because there's a whole kind of geometry of the session and you're you're going from side to side you're singing songs uh, like the dance, the men are going, you kind of set it up in a square, the men are going this way, the women are going that way, and you, you do a kind of two steps this way, two steps that way, two steps this way, two steps that way, and it's in the beat of a, of a maraca, of a, of, a, of a kind of percussion instrument that everyone's playing. So there's a, there's a whole kind of um, potency of the ritual without ayahuasca, but no, ayahuasca is, the, is, is really the key to it, and it's also, um, it kind of, in a, in a way, it's replaced um, the the role of the, um of the intermediary so for example if you've got a problem and you go and ask uh, the guy who's running the session he will most or she will most likely go listen don't ask me man ask 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 the teacher and point Mm -hmm. to the to the brew um is there a group of that in london like do you have uh no part of a this was all in brazil yeah, so it's going in Brazil. In the States, there's legal protection. So you've got um, a couple it, of different groups, and it's uh, it's growing quite... Uh, it's growing in, in the States. Um, as it left Brazil, uh, in a lot of places, they've lost some of the ritual um, diligence, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I'm pretty old school. I quite like these things contained carefully. And when, uh, when, how old were you when you did this? How long? When was your first time? How did you make the? Well, I guess we can c- kind of backtrack. How did you make the leap? Because that that's always the. If if any psychonaut is worth his salt, eventually the goal is to go do an ayahuasca trip in South America. That's kind of <laughs> the the penultimate. Um, my use was more set to what was available. So lots of mushrooms, lots of LSD, lots of DXM. And then I got into the research chemicals, which are just kind of a nasty little batch of a lot of cathinones and theolines and all that stuff. I've had a a terrible time going in. How how did your journey go? Uh, I was living in Japan. I lived there for six years. And my ex-wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, she said, hey, do you want to go to a, 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 a crazy... She didn't speak much English at the time. Uh, do you want to go to a crazy drugs party? I went, yeah, of course. <laughs> I went, I crazy drugs party. I wasn't expecting what I found, you know. The men were on one side, the women on the other. Everyone was kind of wearing blue, uh, like kind of white shirts. This the men is wearing, in Japan? Uh, this is in Japan, yeah. Oh, wow. Everyone else is Japanese. There was one other white guy there. And I, and I, and, and, you know, it's like kind of statues of the Virgin Mary and crosses and incense. And, and I was, <laughs> I'm, uh, like, I was raised reformed Jewish. Um, and very kind of culturally Jewish. Wow, you yeah. are you are a melting pot, huh? I've got all, all, all sorts going. Reform Judaism seems to have lost a lot of its. I, I would, I, I think, it seems to have lost a lot of its power when it switched to a, uh, a kind of form of nationalism around the state of Israel. It seems. Mm. Um, um, but anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, so it was quite. I was quite surprised uh, to see, and I, I. Uh, uh, I, I went along with it, you know. I, I I drank the brew and I listened to the people pray, and uh, and it kind of and it blew me away. But the the, I guess the the ritual side of it, it was um, took a little while to make to make sense of of the genius of how of of how Daimi is arranged and organised. And I remember one very specific moment where um, it was in in a, in a way it was revealed to me that whatever I might have thought that the Virgin Mary is. It was nothing like I. It was, uh, you know, which was wrapped up with a whole lot of. Uh, and I came. I came. I was quite militantly atheistic for a time in my in my teens, and then I was was, uh, was involved in a Buddhist group for five years. I didn't have very many, very much, um, very much time for uh, for Christian perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like I mentioned, you know, I'm. I'm I thought of the Bible as a method of, of control uh, for, for for a long time. Still, I really, I mean, I'm really into it now. I've started getting into the poetry of it in a in 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 a big way, and I, we can talk about that a little bit later. But anyway, um, when when I had a, a, an experience of of, of Maria, um, it was nothing like uh, nothing like I could have possibly imagined. When when you um, say Maria, this was the the deity being you saw on the trip. I'm just like defining um, terms for people, or what? What? what yeah. What do you mean yeah, there? Yeah. yeah, the thing which is named the kind of maternal—it's difficult to talk about, really—but that yeah. maternal um, uh, force of the of, of creation, generation, the the. Um, and I guess. Uh, it's... Yeah, that thing is very difficult to talk about, but yeah, very different to what I had been uh, exposed to for, as uh, what for it was supposed to be. For listeners, uh, I guess that are unaware, there's. It's fairly common that there's a maternal figure seen um, in the ayahuasca trips. That's fairly universal. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and it did feel very much universal. It was like, um, 
um, that's how we start our, our, our sessions in Daimi. Um, you know, in a lot of a lot of people who will do neo uh, neo shamanic rituals, they'll go along with an intention. You know, I want to be cured of this, or I want this, or I want that, or I want to open this. We don't do that, and um, I quite like the fact that we begin with a prayer to the the male and female um, forces of the universe. Hmm. Uh, so it's our Father, uh, and it's and it's uh, Ave Maria. And then off we go. And it's not really about you at that point. It's about something much larger uh, than you. But I mean, you mentioned something quite interesting there. Is this, 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 you said, what, what, what's my faith leanings, right? Mm-hmm. So the word, um, the Hebrew word for faith uh, is emunah. Uh, it's the same letters as the word amen. And uh, amen means, yeah, amen means um, I, I, I understand what you're saying and I go along with it. That's kind of the, what, what amen means when we say it. So emunah, faith, um, you go, if you go back to, um, it's not a particularly good translation, um, the word faith. Uh, and in uh, certainly from a kind of Jewish perspective, the idea of blind faith is um, kind, of, kind of horrendous. You know, it goes back to a guy by the name of Tertullian in 201. Mm-hmm said uh we have to believe in the virgin both because it's absurd and that was his idea of faith believing in something that was absurd um now um emunah is not really that certainly not the way i understand it um there's a nice little cabalistic story about the word emunah in fact it starts with the word the letter aleph which is the first letter of the hebrew alphabet and the second letter is mem which is the middle letter of the alphabet so you start at the beginning you go towards where you're going go towards the end and accepts, uh, and then the next letter is nun, which is the which is one letter after 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 mem. So you you start at the beginning, you go to where go towards your destination, and you take the next logical step. So that Jeez, um, that's it's so it's such a loaded phrase that seems like indeed. So it's a similar story to what you have in the the story of the Israelites on the uh, in the uh, in the wilderness. You know they they know that there's a promised land that they're going to somewhere but they don't know where it is. But they do know what the next logical step is. They know what the next step is. The next step is follow the uh, pillar of smoke uh, uh, or the pillar of fire. And they just have to take the next uh, the next step, which is kind of... Um, um, I actually think the Exodus story uh, is, in some sense, a um, tells the story of um, dissolution and... Uh, reintegration or t- tells the story of the psychedelic experience in a way because all the walls come off you know they're released completely from their conditioning they're released from the uh the bondage of the uh um of the egyptians and then they're in they're in the wilderness they don't know where they're going but they can they they can manage to take the next logical step so i kind of so I just want to kind of pick up pick up that idea of what of, of, of faith i mean i don't think you're meaning it you're meaning it like that but it's um, it, it's not really, um, it's certainly not blind faith. And at Tertullian, he died a, a heretic. He, he recanted uh, what, what he'd said. That's why he's not a saint. Like, you know, Saint Jerome is a saint and um, all those other guys. But he died a heretic, so they didn't canonize him. But what, what got left over from his, his ideas about blind faith and also some of his misogyny, he talked about women as being the gates, the, the gates to hell and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, that got left over in, in Catholic theology. When you were talking about um, going into it with with no intention, have you ever had any experience with ibogaine? Because that's like with people trying to as as a treatment for heroin addiction. Say, mm-hmm. have have you had have you done it ever? Yeah. What's, yeah. It changed. 
it changed my life completely. Really? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, elaborate on that. That was always, um, I'd always thought about that when I was trying to find the, the cure for addiction. Okay. Um, again, it was in, um, the ritual was very important. Um, ritual was really important to me. But I, I went along, you know, I had a, at that point I'd been smoking weed for pretty much every day for about 13 years. If I, if I hadn't smoked it, it's because I didn't have any and I was looking for it. Right. Um, and I did. I had no intention of actually um, of, of slowing down. I was quite happy being a, a kind of useless uh, stoner. Um, it was it was fine by me. But um, but I heard that. Uh, but I but I but I kind of understood that um, ibogaine uh, was was somehow related to the dream state. And I knew that if I smoked, I didn't I didn't have dreams. So I decided to to stop smoking for I can't remember how long it was a week or ten days beforehand. And and then I, t- I took uh, I took ibogaine and it was or iboga in fact um, it was horrendous the the, the it was a, a kind of two day ordeal um, just just awful like um, awful in the physical mental psych sense um, it was bitter I mean the taste of it was bitter um, it made me feel bitter uh, it was like what happened to me in my head mm. was uh, like watching a video um, loop of a whole bunch of experiences that happened to me and I'd forgotten. So stuff that happened oh, in my wow. childhood and it was boring. It was really boring, but it kept on showing me these things until I remembered and noticed how it affected the way that I was um, behaving now, how these kind of loops that had set up these circuits that had set up in my head was, uh, yeah, it was influencing me. It's, it's used as a, as a way for a child to become a man. That's its traditional uh, use. So, which is one of the reasons why it's so useful for um, uh, people suffering with um, addiction, because that that inability to say no or to know when you've had enough is, in in many ways, a kind of childish um, uh, response. And, and, and being an adult, being being uh, in control of your body rather than being controlled by your body, uh, is is a lot of a lot of time, you know, taking responsibility. And, uh, and I'm sounding very moralistic here. I don't mean to. Um, no, no, no. But, My, all of our uh, uh, the any alcoholic addict will tell you that you know you 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 stop emotionally growing with with the first things you start using and we we find that when we sober up or try to sober up we're still these whatever age you are you are still a 13 year old child and you mm. act as such and it's it's a lot of it's basically the if the root of the problem is selfishness then the the answer to it is selflessness and that's like the hardest thing for a child and that's like what we're the whole journey is trying to be about yeah, yeah, interesting. So, so I came out of that with, um, you know, uh, and I didn't go back to to smoking, you know, or certainly not with the with hmm. the um, with the vigor um, you, you know, used to. Uh, yeah, exactly. It wasn't it wasn't automatic anymore. I mean, I still will uh, sometimes now if I want to, or I'll kind of use it in certain in certain contexts. Uh, but I can take it or leave it, and you know, maybe more recently, I'm just I'm kind of leaving it. Um, but uh, yeah, it kind of it, it interrupts. Both is fascinating because it interrupts uh, loops and patterns. Well, the, and, uh, what's interesting yeah. about that is I've never had. Well, I could, I could, and I don't consciously know it, but I feel like I haven't had changes that are far-reaching and long-lasting from psychedelics. Whereas it sounds like something like ibogaine, to this day, you, you say it changed changed your life. Now, I guess I could say that my, I would definitely say that my life is markedly, and my life and thinking is markedly different since trying those, but it's like as far as, uh, 
I thought you were like pouring some right now. You're like, oh, now that you mentioned Abigail, let me just, let me just. <laughs> um, My dose of peppermint. Oh, nice. Uh, Long lasting changes you were talking about. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but it sounds to me like you believe that these experiences have definitely left their mark and, and continue to. Um, yeah, I don't think I would have written my books. Uh, I don't think I would have finished my books, for example, if I hadn't um, taken Iboga. Uh, I don't think I would have got anything done, really. It really, it, it, it kind of, it kind of injected a, a certain seriousness in, it, into my life. Yeah. And and I'm guessing like, because my memory, like, how did you retain the memory of the experience, or or was that not necessary? Was it is it um, seared <laughs> into you, or? Yeah, I mean, um, I know all this the, stuff is impossible to, to, to talk about. Right, I mean, there was certain, you know, like a, like an ayahuasca experience or, or, or acid or something is full of like really crazy imagery and all that kind of stuff. I didn't find that with a boga. Boga was much more about, um, it felt like kind of something going into the circuitry and just kind of rearranging it, you know. And some people have much more, much more difficult experience. Mine was just horribly boring and I bored <laughs> myself. I kind of bored myself out of, um, uh, I mean, you know, it's kind of boring. Getting stoned every day is boring. Not getting anything done is boring, you know. Can I? Um, but it... <laughs> I had my friend had a sorry, just re- real quick. You might appreciate yeah. it. My um, my other heroin addict friend, the other, the only other person I know that has tried ibogaine for that purpose has. He kind of he said, I asked him like, well, how was it? And he was like, well, you know, I, it was okay. He's like, I got brought to this place and there was this being, and I felt that I was supposed to to that he had something for me, but I just said, meh, and I just turned around and walked the other way, and I was like, uh, he's like, so I think I kind of missed the entire point of it, but I, don't know, uh, I thought that was funny. Well, you can go back to it, you know, it's, um, I remember the door may well still be open. A friend of mine, she she used to, um, she used to shave her head, uh, and she always used to have, she needed someone to, like her husband used to put his hand on her, on her belly to to sleep, and she couldn't get to sleep without a hand on her belly, and the, the iboga, she took a iboga and then, um, it said to her, I'm going to remind you why you always need a hand on your belly when you sleep. You're gonna, I'm going to make you feel like your stomach's being ripped out until you remember. Uh, and eventually, after, after agony, uh, some, you know, quite a long time of agony, she remembered that her, when she was a very small child, she'd, um, her mum used to put a hand on her belly in order to comfort her uh, and go to sleep. And then her mum had blown herself up with a hand grenade. And um, I, can't, I don't wow. know if it was by mistake or by, uh, by design. But um, it had obviously left this massive gap in my friend's life, which she'd been filling up with just, you know, everything. And uh, uh, she used to smoke cigarettes like, yeah, like yeah. Uh, you know, very clearly trying to fill a gap. And she just chilled out. She grew her hair. I mean, uh, and uh, she divorced her husband. And, and she's kind of, um, you know, it's in, it, for some people, it's just like it can be like taking the pickle out of the. Out of, out of your bum hole to, to use a couple <laughs> expression you know and things can start to flow uh again but again you know it, it would come back to ritual i know there's there's um there's a lot of people who will grab a bottle of of, uh, of, iboga, of uh, iboga and set about doing themselves and these things are, are culturally uh contextualized in their cultures uh, not to say they can't be taken, you know, in in, in some other country. Yeah, but, but there, there's uh, a prescriptive way that it's that it's intended. So, is there no fear from you for, uh, we'll call them, 
dark, I won't say evil, but malevolent, dark spirits, um, something, you know, you're opening these doors. Is there? It was always a fear of mine that I'm opening the wrong doors or I'm set up, sort of turning on this lighthouse beacon in the spiritual plane where it's just attracting the good and the bad. You know, is there no, have you had any encounters with that? Is, is that still, because it's, you um, know, it's, it's somewhat, it's like, you know, it's like being an astronaut, you know, it's, it's risky. I would say, but that's why I don't I don't take psychedelics when I'm you know, a festival or something. You know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm much aware that there's a way. You know, my tradition is it, it comes from a man called Mestre Irineo, and he was a master, um, no doubt about it. So when we would uh, drink in Brazil, um, I would be uh, I would feel very much that the the salon, the room, was being protected by his. Uh, by his uh, well, kind of the oral tradition that that he left. Well, a his 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 spiritual presence, but also um, there's kind of um, lots of um, like like you don't um, there's certain things you don't do. Like you don't talk, for example. You you sing your songs, but there's no talking in between songs. Uh, you are you're kind of there's the the rules, uh, in much that our rules are to arrive with a with a sane mind and to focus on. Um, higher things and, and and there's this kind of so there, uh, you know there's a three-day sexual dieta you don't have sex for three days before or three days afterwards so it's got various different um Safe, safeguards if you will yeah and any proper ayahuasca tradition will have those now when you've got with the problems of uh ayahuasca tourism i don't want to get too down on it because it's yeah. like a lot of people having uh being introduced to these to these wonderful things and um and also i think it's is doing some really real good in in society a lot of people turn to activism for example they get more environmentally uh conscious um after taking psychedelics as research on that but if if like it's if a kind of cowboy shaman in inverted commas uh can make more money in one evening than people from his uh community can make in a whole year by serving it to gringos uh then there's a whole massive economic uh, incentive to to cut corners or you know um, yeah. to not do the training or whatever it is. And of course, there's been reports of like molestation and robbery and which yeah, all that kind of thing. Anytime, anywhere, there's a there's money. You know that stuff's going to quickly follow at some point. Yeah, and you also got you know hundreds and hundreds of years of, of, of ever since first contact. A lot of these people have been uh, subjected to awful, awful tortures. And that kind of, um, I guess, scar doesn't. What do you? What do you? What are you referring to there? Well, like the rubber trade in Peruvian, oh, okay. in, for example, the um, slave, um, the, the way that people were enslaved, the way that the people. I mean, there's still people being. There's still indigenous tribes being killed. Uh, you know, just a couple well, of months ago, there was another one was uh, was killed. There's still there's still indigenous uh, land battles going on with the, with the Brazilian government, for example, is 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 uh, being really really bad to the to the indian population so well that that's what always kind of made me uh trepidant about like south america and central america especially with the uh mayan culture with their relationship with um with mushrooms and very violent and their their war gods telling them through the mushroom trips telling them to do sacrifices and it, it just seems like the spirits involved down there uh are it seemed very not peace and lovey, I guess I'll say. Um, well, divination and uh, magic has always been traditionally connected to um, 
well, war divination, for example, whether it's um, John Dee, for example, the English occultist and astrologer who, when, when Britain was in was under threat, or when England rather was, when the Spanish Armada was on his way, what did he do? He got his uh, obsidian um, um, rock, uh, made a seal, and raised up a, an elemental storm to destroy the Armada. So m- what? magicians. What? Let me, I want to write that one down. Who was that? I've never heard that story. Uh, John Dee, Doctor Doctor John Dee, he was a court astrologer in the fifteen hundreds. Who, um, you know, that that was his that was his magic. He did. He kind of came up with uh, the Enochian system. But basically, what I'm saying is, uh, magic has always been about protecting the tribe. To uh, an aspect of it has been about protecting the tribe. So whether that's protecting them from disease. So the shaman was was charged with protecting people from disease, but it was all, he was also charged with protecting them from other tribes, right? So I mean, I wouldn't really, I don't know enough about um, the Central American um, uh, traditions and, and whether that you know you know, I'm, arts out I'm getting stuff. most of that from Graham Hancock, so it's yeah, got, I mean, it's I, got I, his bias. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, he may, he may be right, but I, I don't know enough to comment. Um, but um, you know, we we had uh, what, what were our our spirits were uh, you know kind of beer and, and gin and stuff, and, and certainly the British managed to extend a, an empire of, of slavery across the entire world. We didn't need psychedelics. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is, you don't really want to blame <laughs> the they just use tea. <laughs> they just use tea. Yeah, indeed. And if you look, I mean, going back to the Bible, you look at kind of how how Moses uh, behaves and the kind of thing that Yahweh uh, demands of, of of Moses when he. You know, he, we, Yahweh gets cross because uh, the massacre is not insufficient. He says, well, why have you left the little children uh, alive? Uh, kill them all, you know, just just keep the, 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 the virgins for yourselves, you know. So have I you, think we've got, there's an issues around tribalism there as well as uh, psychedelics. Have you ever encountered Yahweh or Jesus? <laughs> um, well, those are two very different guys. Um yeah, I think Yahweh. I think Yahweh's there. Um, he's the God. I mean, I I, I kind of see see those uh, the different God names in the Bible have quite different personalities uh, and they act in different ways. So, I mean, leaving out uh, Jesus for for the time being, there's one guy called El Shaddai, for example. And El Shaddai says to Abraham, "Go and sacrifice your son." And Abraham goes, all right, then, and off he goes, and he goes up his mountain with his son, and then he gets up to the top of the mountain, and then the the uh, the angel, angel of Yahweh, of the Lord, yeah, yeah, the angel of, of, of well, we call him Yahweh, comes along and says, "Don't sacrifice your son." You know, so you've got one guy saying one thing and one guy saying something else, and then it's and then it's Abraham who gets to choose which one of these powers he's going to listen to. Um, that's when I'm, I'm using the word powers deliberately there because uh, Elim means powers, and Elohim is kind of powers with an extra. Yeah, an the, extra hey, which is the feminine, uh, a feminine letter in that the, in that the word. The powers and principalities. Uh, yeah, well, if we're kind of talking about the the hierarchies of angels, mm-hmm. then we're kind of on um, kind of later scripture. I think it's, it's around Daniel that that kind of stuff comes in. Um, but um, so it's around then. It's it's one when they're in the Babylonian captivity that the kind of an, uh, the angelic realms and all that gets uh, developed. But um, but yeah, yeah, exactly. The different the different names. I mean, the angels. They they tend to end in el like my name Danielle, uh, mm-hmm. but so the angels are el. They've got they've got the y and the aleph and the lamid. Uh, that's all. I could all get a bit cabalistic, so I won't go there. But um, 
Yeah, uh, you, you've often got um, bits in the Bible where one, where one God name will say one thing, one God name will say another. Or you'll have something like, um, what's this line um, printed out today so I could refer to it? Um, uh, this line when um, Yahweh uh, wants to destroy the Israelites and uh, Moses says, no, 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 don't do that. Remember the good old days, that'd be far from thee to do. And Yahweh repented of the evil which he uh, which he was about to do. And that's that's the line there. So there's instances where the prophets uh, um, limit the destructive behavior of the, the God names. Um, You've got another example with El Shaddai when he goes off to destroy Sodom. And uh, Abraham goes, well, would you save it? for If there are 50 good men, would you save it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I probably would. Well, what if, what if it's 40? What if it's 30? What if it's 15? And he kind of bargains him down. And eventually it's just the one and it's Lot and his family who get uh, who get saved. So this, this idea of arguing with God, certainly from the Jewish tradition, um, Christian tradition gets a little bit more complicated. Um, but it's the prophet's duty from a traditional uh, Jewish uh, perspective to argue with God. And like there's, um, I think it's the Zohar, uh, one of the Kabbalistic books, um, very revered book um, from the medieval period. Um, it, it, the rabbis criticize Noah and they say, surely it was Noah's flood because he didn't ask for leniency from the Lord, from Yahweh. You know, yeah, so this idea it, gods it, themselves have to be restrained. That's yeah, like Enoch too was was an inter intermediary between the angels and God. In that in that instance too, they came to him to to plead with God to save them. Uh, mm. What was I gonna say? Um, oh, and I, I think I read you had an interesting take. Uh, and obviously, for for our listeners, I'm kind of just letting. Um, we have different beliefs. I'm coming from a Christian tradition, so they of course we have what we believe about these certain subjects. So we're just kind of going with that. But you, you had something interesting about um, Jacob wrestling with God. Uh, well, you? yeah, it's not very clear who he wrestles with, whether yeah, it's yes, with or, angel or what goes on. But yeah, he, he's approached by a man. It's, it's described as a, I think it's, it, it might be ish, but uh, the Hebrew word, but yeah, he's approached by a man and he wrestles all night. Uh, and in the morning, um, he's given this new name, which is uh, Israel. I struggle, uh, and he, he kind of so yeah. so he strives against him all night, and he defeats him. You know, he pins him. The, the, uh, this 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 man or this this angel, whatever it is, puts his dislocates his thigh, and he continues to wrestle all night, and uh, and and he pins him at the end. And um, how does it go now? I think it goes. Um, Let me go for the day breaketh. I think this is what the 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 pinned figure says. Uh, and he says, I won't let you go until you give me your name. That until you let me know. Names were so important uh, back then, too. There's a the interesting story about... Have you um, read any, any of the extra canical, like uh, Enoch or the Book yeah, of Jubilees I mean, and stuff? The, the interesting uh, remind me a little bit, but... Um, there, yeah, there, there was the story about a, um, a woman that had, like seduced the angels and she was trying to get god's true name and as soon as they gave it to her she spoke it and she disappeared and like from the angel it like god's true name had this this these special powers yeah just, I mean, it, it, names were of, of massive importance well yeah and in occultism as well and in fact um uh, in uh, that's how you get power over an, over an angel or a demon is, is by by its seal by its name and in the indigenous tradition for example uh, it's the phrase, the musical phrase, which is an ikaro, 
which gives you certain control of the spirit of a certain plant, for example. So it's a, it's also a collection of sounds in in a certain order, which is what a name is. Um, um, yeah, uh, very interestingly, when whenever the gods uh, or the god names, I call them, uh, present themselves uh, as auditory in an auditory way to the prophets. They, they they often start by saying the name of the prophets. They might say, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am, and off they go. Uh, or or whatever it is, Moses, Moses, here I am, and off they go. And um, that's the first thing that people who hear voices in their heads normally hear is their own name. Uh, and I think that, you know, we tend to pathologize the hearing of voices. But um, <clears throat> I think that the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the fascinating things about the Bible is I think it describes quite clearly how um how we interact with the invisible and a lot of it goes on in our own heads you know there's there's kind of you oh, know yeah. parting sea and stuff like that but most of it is people seeing visions people hearing voices people overwhelmed with compulsions uh, people becoming very brave things that, um, that people cannot prove to other people basically yeah yeah exactly you've only got one example of a collective vision in the entire uh, in the entire old testament the- uh, that's at um, Mount Sinai, uh, or Mount Sinai, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you had the and... Transfiguration in the New Testament. There was at least I can't remember how many disciples were there, but there was a few. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm kind of uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, and... I'm really qualified to talk a whole lot about the New Testament. I'm fascinated by it. Oh, yeah. um, but what, um... <clears throat> what's interesting too is a lot of in, a lot of times um, when things were shown to people or like miracles were done, they were told not to talk about them until certain times or not to talk about them at all. So this, that's another interesting thing. Would you... is, I'm just I'm just finding this uh, this story of Jacob. Jacob's name means usurper, which is what he was. You know, he kind of uh, he stole his birthright from his brother. Yeah. Jerk. Uh, yeah. He was uh, he was a real shady character. And um, so. um Jacob was left alone and one wrestled. Oh no, that's the Youngs. So let's get rid of that translation. Um, do, do, do. This is my favourite Bible, the Blue Letter Bible online. It makes makes uh, finding text and working out what the words are. And and so how does it go? Um, and Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, the man said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me, right? And this word bless is not the benediction of a priest. A blessing is giving you something. Like a birth, a birthright, almost. Uh, yeah, it could be birthright. It could be a, um, an actual, a child. Like they say, you know, the Lord has blessed my womb, for example, or it's riches or something like that. And he said to him, what is thy name? As in, uh, so, so the, the, the man, who's, or the angel, whatever it is, says, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall noble be called Jacob, the usurper, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power. Now, um, this word um, uh, has power with God and with men and has prevailed. So the, the, the line there is saying that he's or is acknowledging the fact that he's actually pinned God. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, so you've got this word, um, Sar. Uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a shin and a, a resh if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so in the middle of Yisrael, yeah, it is. So it's a, it's a yod, uh, shin, uh, resh, uh, yod, uh, aleph, and l. And the el bit is the same as Daniel. It means kind of directed power. Um, this word um, 
uh, this combination of the of the shin and the reish, the sut and the ra, means a, a prince, uh, a kind of powerful man amongst men, and also yisar. Uh, these first three um, ysr in English, you'd write it, means um, has this has this connotation of directing uh, power. So it's like a javelin, for example, is that word it comes from comes from that word. Uh, also, okay. the unleashing of a bolt is is that word. So is this idea of it also means upright as well, kind of. Um, so certainly the story from for me is about uh, handling that immense power and and and, and the powers. Yeah, Elohim is as far as I understand it, it's pretty much like a plug in the wall. You know, you can plug it into a, a toaster, you can plug it into an electric chair, you can do wonderful things with it or awful things with it. Um, and and when it comes into the world, it gets all these different god names, and and you know some of them are very explicitly described as evil in in, in the Bible, for example, Yahweh. Um, the serpent never gets uh, the adjective evil; he gets the adjective subtle. But the the actions of of, of Yahweh are described in Exodus as evil. You know, um, this kind of thing has to be controlled. So at this point, um, Jacob becomes uh, becomes Israel, he who strived with God. It means to strive as well. This word uh, shinresh, and uh, and uh, off he goes, and then he goes and makes peace with his brother the reason he has to make peace is because his his leg has been put out of joint so he can't keep running away from esau so he has to go back and make uh, peace with him. Yeah. and uh, and what happens when he goes back to his brother his brother embraces him and it um so it's quite an interesting story of power because he gets his power taken away but it's, it's his life because he you know he's terrified uh of um being destroyed by his brother uh that is interesting yeah. so um I want to, so why do you think, I'm trying to, like, it seems like this current age is, is, we're kind of marked by the stifling of our spiritual muscle, like, the, the, as, well, science is kind of catching up to it, um, the existence of other dimensions and all that, but it seems like as knowledge rose, the, um, the spiritual beliefs of our forefathers, like it's just like, oh well, they were just ignorant sheep herders and stuff. And it seems like people are turning to um, these spiritual experiences because our society is no longer allowing them or like allowing them to be incubated or stuff. What? Why would? Why do? You, do you have any thoughts on what you think um, sort of caused this decline? Um, well, going all the way back to the anti-Gnostics, uh, Irenaeus of, uh, of Lyon, for example, there's a good one. Um, you had all these kind of, you had this wonderful flowering of different Christian groups or kind of proto-Christian Jewish groups that came after, well, even before the destruction of, um, of Jerusalem, um, there were, there were kind of Jewish communities in, 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 in different parts, like, uh, around the Mediterranean, but then with the destruction and uh, with the kind of incorporation of uh, of the the Jesus story, uh, it gets you get all these different gospels. You get like what is it, thirty or forty or how many gospels they found, um, and uh, all these different churches doing very very different things. And a lot of them were very specifically anti-authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they would talk about um, a bishop as being a dry canal. I think it's the Gospel of Philip, where he says. <clears throat> um, um, he, he says he, he's talking about um, let me see if I can find it here oh, so I can um, uh, just give me a second 
Philip. Very conceived by the Holy Spirit there in error. Oh, that's a different one. Um, no, I'm not going to find that. Anyway, there's these gospels. Um, so, like, like, like the uh, the gospel story of Timothy. Um, oh man, I'm doing rubbish with my text. All, all of the the gospels that ended up in the canonical Bible, right? Mm-hmm. The ones that were selected by uh, Irenaeus. They were the stories where um, the there's where Jesus has a physical manifestation, or rather, the stories where Jesus walks and he doesn't leave any footsteps, for example, were taken out of the <clears throat> taken out of the canon by Irenaeus. Um, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, for example, where Jesus appears as a uh, in a vision and tells tells uh, Mary, "Don't make any laws like the lawmakers." Right. Um, and they've so got these quite anarchistic um, 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 spirits or the spirit of Jesus who who returns not in the flesh. You know, in, in the creed, you've got this idea of resurrection in the flesh. Um, but the reason that that's put in the creed was to deal with all these um, heretics who were saying we're getting res- we're getting uh, the, the, the rebirth is coming in the spirit. So he's appearing in our dreams. He's imper- appearing in our uh, kind of inklings or visions or so on and so forth. And you can't really run an empire where people are taking their authority from invisible voices and uh, beings who are telling you things like don't, you know, don't accept any laws. Uh, So you get Paul comes along and he says, you know, some of you will call yourself spiritual, but know that these are the teachings of, or of um, Jesus Christ comes along with all that kind of jazz. Um, And you get this kind of argument between uh, what, what makes a church, um, a valid church and Gnostics are saying, well, it's the Holy Spirit and you can, it's invisible, but you can recognize it in other people. And the kind of uh, the, the Roman emperors or the, 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 what do you call it? The, uh, the people who are establishing the, 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 the Christian Roman Empire at the time, they say, no, 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 it has to have a bishop. And the bishop has his consecrated hands and he's the guy who's got the magic hands that do the, do all the magic stuff. Yeah, right? Constantinople can... kind of uh, <clears throat> nationalized christianity yeah yeah it's, that's a good way of putting it so it's kind of centralization of of the cult and so so doing your kind of healings off uh, who knows where getting your own uh, instructions all that kind of thing so we, we've um I, I think you can trace it all the way back all the way back to there you know and as as that imperial model of uh belief what you're allowed to believe has spread out um you know it's kind of it's kind of changed a little bit with where where we moved into a kind of whatever you might call it a scientific or a scientific um worldview but again it's it's very much the same things that Irenaeus was complaining about which have popped up in um uh in modern scientific controversy so for example the existence of hidden spirits uh, invisible spirits uh, or invisible powers, rather, unauthorized invisible powers. So, you know, for example, homeopathy is a very interesting example. You know, uh, there's this stuff which is basically invisible. It's uh, diluted so much that it's not there anymore. And this is a massive controversy, which is, you know, governments are getting involved. And um, it's still a big thing in England. You know, uh, people are all up in arms about the NHS um, prescribing homeopathy and all, all that, blah, blah, blah. So you can, there's certain areas in, in scientific controversies uh, one of them is another one is over authority. You know, who has the right to say that something is true? And basically that's conferred by if you've published it in a certain um, in a certain journal. Right. So who mm-hmm. has like so you've got this kind of whole priestcraft around selecting 
what gets put into the journals. And you know, this is my 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 background. My first uh, my first book is all about this. It's about the place of revelation in science and how scientific institutions uh, do the real politic around how they how they argue over what what becomes received knowledge. And it's nothing to do with scientific testing. It's to do with funding allocations. It's to do with bullying. It's to do with censorship. It's to do with blackballing of certain scientists. And pe- um, people still will just call you a nut job. Uh, they'll lump you in as a conspiracy theorist if you like. People still don't really realize that that happens. Which really oh, yeah. bothers me. Yeah, I mean, even um, the editor of The Lancet came out uh, a couple of years ago saying uh, a lot of the science, perhaps half, is simply untrue. You know, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> you've got the science being published at the moment. You've got this uh, recently. There was an attempt to replicate. I think it was a hundred studies in um, in psychological science, and I think they got about thirty of them were replicated. Um, so the the scientific project is really. I mean, the cracks are opening up. Um, you know, and the, the 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 kind of scary side of that is people believe are kind of believing anything exactly, or whatever. Um, what you're saying about the uh, imperialism, what's what's been brought up by other people besides me is that um, psychedelics, especially, are very antithetical to that system because, like, once a person has even an LSD experience, they're gonna question, like, do I really want to be on this uh, assembly line? Like, is this really what I'm meant to be doing? It's very, it, it, it opens up, it destroys the box of your preconceived notions, like, which yeah. otherwise will never be destroyed. So this is very interesting uh, bit from um, bit from Exodus, where. Um, Moses is coming to the end of his sojourn. The Israelites are, are, are closing in on the promised land. And Moses says to Aaron, uh, grab some of that manna and keep it for the generations to see. Mm-hmm. Right. Or keep or cultivate is the other word. Now, I've got uh, I don't have time to explain it here, but um, I've got a theory, uh, a speculation that manna is ergot. Uh, because of a whole lot of um, the physical description of it and the preparation of it that's described in the Bible is exactly how you make uh, LSA out of of ergot and the fact that it, it, it you know it's 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 got the same taste as ergot it's described as having a honey taste uh, it appears as uh, white pellets which is how ergot secretion hardens on the on and, the and plant. For our, for our listeners, ergot is where you get LSD. Uh, yeah, originally Hoffman made um, LSD out of ergot. You get something out of, called LSA out of it. It's toxic unless you prepare it. You have to prepare it by uh, drying it uh, and crushing it and then uh, boiling it, which is exactly how you have to prepare manna in order to make it suitable for consumption. Those are the instructions given by well, given by Moses, given by Yahweh. But um, I'm, I'm, I imagine, I'm hoping you'll put a link to some of my research yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please, uh, yeah, send over some links. We'll, we'll so, do that. So I'm not going too much into that now, but there's a really interesting bit. Um, well, there's a couple of things. Firstly, you know, we mentioned the, the collective uh, revelation that happens on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, the only one that's in the Old Testament, and it's when everyone is eating manna. And it's also the only example of synesthesia in the Bible. And the line goes, and the people are seeing the voices and the flames and the sound of the trumpet. And normally you don't see voices and you don't see the sound of the trumpet unless you're on acid or something like that. It's where the, you, the sense is mixed. Are you willing to entertain that it possibly happened as it as it's written? Um, or as well, it, yeah. sorry, like like it really was just a like it was God revealing himself to people. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think the fact of um, psychedelics being the Bible denies... Uh, I, would, I wouldn't want to reduce God to being a, an experience of, of psychedelics. It's a bit like uh, my glasses. Yeah. Uh, use the example of my glasses. Now, if I put my glasses on, somebody's face comes into focus. That doesn't mean to say my glasses create somebody's face. Ooh, uh, that's a it means, very good analogy. Yeah, you see what I mean? Um, but there's, so, so there's quite an interesting line. So, so Moses says hmm. to um, Aaron... Get, grab some of that stuff and, 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 and keep it for the generations to see. And then the very next line, he says, grab some of that stuff and stick it in the, uh, uh, in the tabernacle, right? And it's a very strange line because the tabernacle hasn't been built yet. It hasn't, it's the first mention of the tabernacle in the Bible, in fact. The tabernacle gets built a whole lot later. So the kind of... Um, it just script... meant tent back then, too. Isn't that what the, like, essentially the word meant? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it meant tent. Um, but he's he's talking about that um, specific one, yeah, the, the dwelling place of, of Yahweh on Earth, the tabernacle. Um, yeah, I mean that's a really interesting. The whole tabernacle thing is fascinating because Same the back the of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, so so there's these two lines where Moses gives two contradictory instructions because the only person who's allowed to go into that thing, the holy of holies, the back of it, mm-hmm. is the high priest. Although the previous instruction is look after it so the uh, uh, so the generations can see it. So the question arises, you know. You, you, if they can't see it, then uh, well, a why is he giving instruction giving an instruction twice, mm-hmm. and b why does the second one negate the first one? And if you kind of look at source criticism, which is another thing I'm quite interested in, there seem to be various different documents that go into the uh, into the production of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of um, uh, um, pretty much mainstream uh, critical theory on on the Bible now. The first, at least one, or perhaps two of those, what's, what's called the Yahwist and the Elohist, are, I personally think, are, are pieces of revelation, but extraordinarily complex, beautiful, and uh, uh, sublime poetry. And then you've got, and, and, and like the first one's got one law in it. It's the law is don't eat blood. And then the second one's got um, not a whole load of laws in it, um, but it's got the so-called Ten Commandments. There's not ten of them. There's about 14 of them. That whole story gets a bit confusing. Um, but then you've got a third layer, which is called the priestly text. And it seems that the, at various points in the history of the developing uh, of the Israelites, as they, as they move from a commonwealth to a monarchy uh, to a kind of uh, a, a, civil war, a kingdom split by civil war that had to kind of start making treaties with its neighbors, Different texts got written, uh, and then in the Babylonian exile, a whole lot more got written, and they were combined at different points to make what we call the Old Testament now, which is why you have, for example, Noah's flood lasts for 40 days, but actually it lasts for 150 days, or you've got the Ishmaelites suddenly become, uh, what do they become? I think it's uh, one tribe becomes another one halfway to, halfway through the story of Jacob. Uh, is it Joseph who gets sold? Yeah, um, yeah Joseph. Yeah. Um, so there's all these kind of incongruities and, and you know, uh, and, and it seems to be, certainly that's the textual scholars of, of linguistics say, it's because all these different texts were kind of fused together. And it looks like this line about take that take that manner and stick it in the place which doesn't actually exist yet is another bit of text from another part of the, from another document which gets inserted in there, which is the priestly document. And the priestly document is very much concerned with the authority of the priests, right? Who's in charge of this thing? Who gets to say... Uh, what we do, and that's where you get all the laws on cleanliness. What do you do with a leper? What do you do with a someone, a woman who's committed, who's accused of adultery? Um, all the genealogies as well, where they say, you know, um, this one begat this one, begat that one, because they're going back to they're kind of establishing the the priestly line as a caste which is above uh, the rest of them. 
And but what's quite interesting is all the psychedelics end up in the ta- in the tabernacle. So you've got, for example, the manna, which is quite speculative, but you've also got the showbread. Um, and the showbread in the Talmud is described as being potent. Uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll read the bit from the Talmud. It says, in high priest Simeon the upright's time, a blessing was sent into the Omer, the two loaves of bread and the showbread. And every priest who received only the size of an olive became satiated and some was left over. Now, that's a pretty tiny dose for for satisfying you with this bread. Um, the showbread is what the, what the priests, except other than the high priest, ate when the high priest was eating uh was back in the in the holy of holies all the other priests were eating um a bread the size of an olive but after him these things were cursed and every priest got only the size of a bean and the delicate priests refused to take it all together but the voracious ones accepted and consumed it once happened that one took his own share and his fellows he was nicknamed robber until his death so we're talking about very very tiny doses of something which is um some people even for them it was too much and for some people, it, they, were, they were Moorish about it, right? So you've got the showbread. Um, you've also got the anointing oil, which is used to, you know, the Shemen Hamishcha, which is where you get the word Messiah from, which is a combination of four plants, right? Um, you've probably heard all the kind of Cane uh, Bossum, Cannabis in the Bible stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, I mean, that's somewhat speculative. I think it's quite, quite, quite um, fair speculation. But the other plants in there are cassia, cinnamon, and nutmeg. And cassia... And cinnamon between them contain estrogel and eugenol. And eugenol is what you make MDMA out, out of. And estrogel is described as having an electric LSD-like effect, right? Now, the reason these two things don't work in your body is because you your your body enzymes break them down before they get into your brain. It's a little bit like ayahuasca. If you yeah, eat loads of DMT, yeah, exactly. So you've got these cytochromes, these enzymes which break down um, eugenol and uh, estrogel. Uh, before they get into your brain, but there are ways of inhibiting those uh, cytochromes. And the ways of inhibiting them are, are the use of myrrh, the use of cannabis, and cinnamon and cassia together, they kind of inhibit um, each other's ones. So that ends up also in uh, the tamalak. And then you've got the Kutoret Hasamim, which is the, the temple incense, which is also, um, uh, it, it's it's what's used in the back of the um, the tabernacle, right? So the way the tabernacle is described, you have a four and a half meter cubed chamber at the back, uh, and it's really tight. How the um, there's like four materials, two of which are skins, which are tightly pulled over an acacia frame at the back, and it makes an absolutely uh, sealed chamber uh, with a veil. And the veil is described as a thick veil, the thickness of a man's hand, right? Uh, and it and it and and what happens inside this chamber right at the back? The dwelling place of Yahweh uh, is that the high priest goes in there after anointing himself with this oil, with handfuls of incense, handfuls of finely ground incense, and makes a cloud of smoke, and then Yahweh appears uh, it, it, from the cloud. And the incense is described in the Talmud. It's got sixteen ingredients, and twelve of them are psychoactive. They work on the GABA system. Uh, they work on the opioid system. You've got spikenard, which is the same stuff that what that has Jesus's feet get washed in. Um, <laughs> That's uh, that's uh, it kind of increases dopamine and uh, serotonin and GABA. And you've got this um, whole stack of, yeah, literally six, uh, 12 out of 16 of the ingredients are, are psychoactive. You've got saffron, you've got frankincense, which works on, like I say, GABA system. And um, also the TRPV3 iron channel, which is an interesting one. That's uh, widely disputed, uh, distributed in the skin where it's involved in uh, temperature. 
sensation, but it's also distributed in the brain, and we don't know what it does in the brain, right? Well, so um, all of this stuff ends up um, in the tabernacle, and also there are mortal taboos over over making it or putting it on a stranger or stuff. You can get killed for that kind of thing if you don't do it. And the, the, only the priests are allowed to do it, who are master apothecaries and uh, medicine mixers. So to answer your question, this idea of limiting the limiting the psychedelics, the psychoactives, to uh, you know not you know the drug war, for example, um, controlling I think what it's a we. Control thing. I think it's a control thing. I think it goes yeah. right back to Levites, um, all the way back in the Bible. But I'll, I'll, I'll include a link to. Uh, some of the stuff I've done. My my breaking convention talk goes into this in a little bit more detail. Yeah, we um, man, we uh went a little bit over time, but um, yeah, go ahead and um, I really enjoyed this talk. Uh, definitely might have to have you on again to continue. Ah, it. cool. Um, why don't you um tell people where they can get your book and find you online? Absolutely. Um, so I've got two books. My first one's called Science Revealed. My second one's called Neuroapocalypse. Neuroapocalypse is the one that goes into uh, drugs in the Bible and theogens in the Bible. Um, if you look on my website is Nemu's End, which is N-E-M-U-S-E-N-D dot co dot U-K. Um, there's a whole bunch of talks there um, on, um, well, some of them are on drugs of the Bible. Some of them are on mistranslation of scripture in the service of empire. I gave a talk at an anarchist conference a little while ago, um, which some of your readers, some of your listeners might be interested in. Um, it's kind of question of authority, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's fascinating because <laughs> it really is a li There's parts of the Bible, which is liberating. Uh, and there's parts of them which are, which are not. And these different, um, these different, different documents that go into it. It's a really fascinating area. Also check out psychedelic press, um, that's my publisher. There's a few other titles on there which are interesting as well. And I think I've got something. Uh, I think I've got something on Reality Sandwich uh, as well. Um, but that's more about um, about ayahuasca. Um, yeah. So yeah, check out my website. And uh, uh, Jed, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, I'm glad we didn't disagree too much. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> It's fascinating stuff. It's um uh it's been a uh man, especially growing up super fundamentalist, it's been a this podcast has really helped me have conversations with people that we might we, I'm finding like, hey, we don't have to believe the same thing to uh have an interesting discourse. So it's it's very cool, man. Very cool. Mm, I guess the final thing I wanna say is like back you know, the the old testament is traditionally it's said to have seventy different faces for 70 interpretations of every line. And the way the Hebrew language works is an extremely fluid uh, f fluid language, very, very poetic language. And, and one, like of, often, um, I think, some of the more fundamentalist uh, Christians are looking for what the Bible says. And the Bible, it, it says, it, it, it flings stuff back at you according to how you look at it, certainly from the Jewish uh, perspective. Um, more on that next time we talk. Yeah, Well, that was another stellar interview. 
Nailed it. <laughs> I like I'm speaking this into existence because I have no idea if I nailed it or not. I have not yet done the interview, but... I will say it would have been better with me. It so would have, but <laughs> you're in a hotel room in Connecticut, which Connecticut. is what I wanted to talk about. So how weird do hotel rooms make you feel? I'm getting more... I'll say this. So we talked about it a little bit before the, the call, but... I. I'm getting more used to it because I just travel so much now. But yeah, there's a weird energy in hotel rooms. There is. It's I for think sure. for me, I think it's A, because I've done some fucked up shit in hotel rooms. Truth. Lots of just partying uh, and just Facts. other. Yeah. Debauchery. <laughs> yes. And then I guess another point is now that, you know, we're – it's the only time in our life where, especially if I do, especially I guess we're talking about by ourselves. So like if we're by mm, ourselves, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like ooh, nobody knows what I'm doing. It's like that exactly. Ugh, There's and I curtains don't. and a locked door. Yes, and nobody's coming in. Nobody's like, coming. Nobody's gonna check on you. Wife's not coming home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly. just I guess it's just like raw tempt it. Raw temptation, I guess. It is. There's a mini bar. I there's mean, a there's mini, mini bar. bar. Yep. There's. All and it, of- yeah, and and couple that with the fact that you're in a different city, it's like, oh, and, yeah. I'm so removed from my reality at this moment. Like I would when my, uh, like when my mom would come visit by herself, I'd have to like go pick her up at a hotel or whatever. And if if we spent any time in the hotel, I would just feel so weird. I guess because that would be any time me and my mom were in a hotel together would be when she was either like picking me up from rehab. Or visiting mm. me from rehab or something, and it was just always just just weird. Yeah, dynamic. weird dynamic. Yeah, it's raw. I mean, you are the most by yourself. I think that you can be. Maybe I don't know. It's close. It's super close. What was that? My phone. Oh, that was a cute little noise. It's iPhone. It's uh, you have ten percent left. And yeah, and it's like. I kind of went through that on our on our honeymoon, sort of, because we were in Florida in this ritzy hotel, and maybe it's like maybe it's movies and and media, but my brain was like, like a nice drink goes with this scene, like that's Oh, dude, you uh, know, when I'm with if I'm with my wife in a hotel room, it's like just on. What? I mean, it's just on. What does that even mean? Does it mean what I think it means? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, I didn't know if we were going there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Saying, but, but it's like animalistic almost. It's like a, fli- a, a switch gets flipped. That's weird. It's, just, it's crazy. And I don't think my wife feels that way. It's like just me. It's weird. You should ask her because I'd be curious if it's... if it's I will. If it's will like an... Her. If it's a... Yeah, really, I guess I'm curious. All right, our, our normal listeners out there, do y'all feel the same, or is it just a weird alcoholic thing, or do hotels just make everybody feel weird? Holla at you, boys. Yeah, for Let's real. Go. I think airports did the same thing for me, because <laughs> that was my biggest thing, was it was enough time always yeah. to buy a drink, catch a buzz, and sober up by the time I got wherever I was going, which was usually... Oh, uh, that sounds horrible, though. Yeah, dude. It, all, it was, all, it was so always bad. try... I had to time it so that by the time my parents or whoever 
was picking me up that like mm-hmm. I didn't smell like it. It was all gone and all that. So it was just that like sounds a sounds so awful. Yeah, I you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess it was because then by the like, because you have to stop. That's yeah, I was about to say like the the obsession was completely kicked off by the time I got picked oh, up, yeah, <laughs> so, and I'm dude. just like kind of buzz, but not really. Oh god, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. Hard pass. I'll have to go through it again. Flying uh, in January. In January, that's right. It's I'm gonna, gonna be do. awesome. I'm though. stoked. So, so tell tell everybody uh, where you just came from. Where did I come from? Football. Yeah, football. Football. How, and how bad is this team too? Uh, it's probably we. So we started a uh, sober co-ed flag football team. Wait, you guys start? Oh, you didn't start the league. No, 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 no. We just joined the okay. league. Yeah, it's not okay. a sober league. That would that would be that's what we should do to play other people of equal shittiness but i don't know i think we're gonna suck but i think we'll be better (laughs) than the softball team just by virtue of like it's easier if nothing else like i know we can throw and catch a football 10 yards at a time you know what i'm saying like if nothing else i'm pretty sure that's possible maybe you don't think so I don't know when you when there's defenders out there and like yeah I mean but we got some decently athletic people fuck we'll see I'll keep you all updated. <laughs> Yo, in San Diego, uh, my wife was on a sober softball team in a sober league. No, but way. I don't know. I feel like you'd have to be in a really big like a decent sized oh, city. It'd be to pull huge. That off. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, there's enough people here, but like. There's but not people that would play and actually yes, show up. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It'd be and then people like we just like we just lost someone as you lose people to relapse, so uh yeah. Man. That comes and goes. It's I think our I think our team last year was like contingent on like when someone was getting out of rehab, which is pretty funny to say. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we gotta play with nine tonight. Our uh, third baseman went to treatment. <laughs> He'll be back though. He'll be. He'll be back. He'll be back. You know what? You want to hear something kind of funny, kind of sad. Yeah. I stopped by the little store next to my house. So I, li- I live kind of out in, like on the outskirts of town, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like one store that I can go to within 15 minutes, like less than 15 minutes, that I can just get like random shit, right? That dollar so I'm store. in the store. What? The dollar store. Yeah, it's Dollar General. Yeah. So I stop in for um, Doritos because I'm fat and. I uh, forget something else. My waffle. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I run into this guy who used to be sober and painted my house when I first moved into it. Um, and I was like, hey, man, how's it going? It's been a long time. And he's like, yeah, I just got out of jail. And I was like, oh, no shit. That's crazy. How are you doing? He's like, I'm OK. I just, you know, I have so I have way too much going on in my life right now. I can't do um, AA or like a sober thing, really. Oh, like. Uh, <laughs> I can't do this. I, I'm too busy. I can't do the sober yeah. thing. I'm too busy, but I just got out of jail. I was like, um, that's funny. You know, so, I got jail stuff to do. <laughs> and and what's funny is that jail stuff, it jail stuff is keeping sober. Like that's like you're yeah. on probation. You got papers. So exactly. like part of the deal is recovery stuff. That's pretty funny and sad. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a little fun. It's yeah. It's mostly sad, but also a little funny. Yeah. Jeez. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. Well, All right, dog. enjoy your den of temptation. 
Yes, I am. Um, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna just like text you intermittently, like at 13 and 25 minute intervals, just to really <laughs> piss you off. You're such an asshole. It's, it, I'm just gonna pick up. I'm just gonna uh, send you a picture just of my face or something. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Bing, damn it, Jet. You don't know. You never know. Yeah, so email us, people, drugs at gmail.com. Tell us if you think Jay should stay or go. I don't know what that means. Later, losers. Catch on the flip-flop. I hate that you stole that from me.